Hey, it's PF. We are back from vacation today, so we're going to delay for one more week the uh, triumphant ranking of the Beach Boys albums 1 through 29. Asterisk, we're only going to do 27. I'll explain next week. I hopefully, I'm actually recording this before we leave, but hopefully over vacation I'll have had some time to uh, sit down with the middle uh, albums and see where I'm going to rank those. Like I said uh, last week, I've got one through six or seven pretty much sorted. I've got the bottom of the order sorted. I just need to know where I rank the middle albums. And I'm, I'm liking some more than I remember liking and not liking some as much as I remember. So we'll get to that next week. Uh, in the meantime, we are going to listen to an encore presentation of PF's tape recorder and the song. Uh, and <laughs> the guest is Kevin Smith uh, off of Movies you know, clerks, all that sort of thing. And I can't remember why I even he was on the show. I think I was, of course, interviewing probably for a print uh, publication, either City Pages or City Beat. And he was probably up to something or other and either Minneapolis or Cincinnati. I don't know which. But uh, to borrow Jimmy Pardo's joke, uh, I'm not sure, but he may still be talking. I think I asked him two questions. I think I asked him, how are you doing? And I think I might have asked him one more question in the middle, and that was it. And so there you have it, Kevin Smith. So I think this is pretty interesting, though, for folks who are still fans of him, you know, folks from back in the 90s and whatnot. So uh, encore, presenta- uh, encore presentation of PF Tape Recorder with Kevin Smith, song of the week from Mabel on the other side of this. Here is Kevin Smith. This is Adam Spiegelman from Proudly Resent and Dream Tweet. Yes, I have two podcasts. I am very important. And you're listening to PF's Tape Recorder. Hello there, I'm PF, this is my tape recorder. Coming up, Kevin Smith, and that's all. No fake news, no hideous skits, no bad impressions, just filmmaker and podcaster Kevin Smith. I wasn't sure we were going to get this thing done. Uh, He was 20 minutes late calling in, so I tweeted in just, of course. I don't know, I just get the feeling that that Kevin Smith would rather do anything, all in caps, than be on my podcast or in Cincinnati City Beat, because I'm doing the interview for both. Uh, My editor caught that (laughs) and sent me an email. She was worried the interview had fallen through, number one, and that my tweet was going to cause Mr. Smith to go all Southwest Airlines on Cincinnati City Beat. We should live so long we get that kind of exposure especially for the podcast. Anyway, uh, he finally calls and immediately says, nice tweet, and then I hit record. <laughs> I was starting to worry, man. <laughs> I got lost. <laughs> oh, okay, cool. All right, well, uh, I know you're a busy man. We had trouble setting this up. Um, so uh, I'll get right to it, though, because I know you don't, you're not really pressed for time. I don't know if Sarah explained to you that um, this is for my podcast and for Cincinnati City Beat. Sweet. Fine. I got two-in-one blow. Oh, there you go, uh, man. Exactly. Uh, story of my life, and uh, not just professionally. Uh, I should live so long. <laughs> so, uh, I know some of the backstory, as a lot of folks uh, reading and hearing this will. Um, you grew up in New Jersey, and Dad worked for the Postal Service, and uh, didn't care for it a whole lot, but went every day, and you wanted something different in life. Yeah, basically, uh, Dad never had that sit-down with me. I didn't have a father that was like, son, the world is yours. You can do anything you want in life or anything like that. Uh, we, You know, my, neither of my parents were really that way. They weren't discouraging, but they weren't encouraging. Like, I remember my mother being like, you should become a waiter like your brother. <laughs> and, um, you know, it, it, both my brother and sister went to college. So my parents were, like, very cool with that. I was given the option to go to college, and I tried, but wasn't really my kind of thing. So they were never discouraging. Um, But they, you know, we didn't dream where we were from. Nobody had an example to point to to be like, 
hey man, somebody came from Highlands and they did X, Y, or Z. That's the town we came from. Okay. So I don't think it was, and nobody in our family had ever done anything, you know, out of the ordinary. Shaggy man, come on. Hmm. Um, the uh, they were never like, hey man, everything is possible. Anything is possible. Um, I, it, it took doing something like that to kind of open their mindset. Like I had an uncle. Um, Uncle Alan, who was in acting and stuff and theater, and he wanted to be, I guess, in movies and whatnot. So he tried for like years, and and I guess you know when you see that in your own family, you assume like, hey man, that's an uncrackable field. Like uh, Uncle Alan could never do it. Why on earth would you know anyone else be able to? It was just pie in the sky. He's watched people on TV or, or saw them in movies, or you went to a theater and saw people on a stage, but that was never us. So I don't think it ever occurred to my father to be like, uh, "You should do better than this." The only thing he would uh, kind of say was, "Man, I hate the post office," and he, <laughs> it was clear that he did. But he—I don't know why he felt that was the only choice that was kind of open him, open to him. He was not a hugely motivated guy. I mean, honestly, all he wanted out of life was to sit around with his wife and kids. I asked him one day, I was like, hey, what was your dreams? He said, what do you mean by that? And he seemed kind of insulted. I was like, what did you dream about when you were my age? Like, what did you want to do? And he goes, I always wanted to get married and have a family. And so he did it. And so everything else was kind of like way secondary, including whatever he did for a living. And so uh, he didn't have a passion for mail, like hated every day of it. Uh, But that was how he paid his bills. So looking at that all the time and looking at how many times he tried to duck out of the job later in life, like he was constantly trying to like get out of going to work and he would always ask my mom to call in for him. Like he was terrified of just calling in for himself. Yeah. And when I finally did it for him, like he was <laughs> like, hey man, you got to call in for me. And I was like, yeah, all right. I couldn't wait to go through it, man, because I was like, God, it must be like the voice of Oz on the other end of the phone based <laughs> on his reaction. And then, you know, it's a dude who's just like, yeah, and you're like, hey, Don Smith won't be in today because he's sick and I'm like okay bye (laughs) (laughs) you know the the most non-confrontational thing on the planet so but for him he always built it up in his head of like he hated that job so much and hated having to answer people and and it never occurred to him to just get a different job Hmm. like move on to a different job for heaven's sakes but he didn't I don't know it wasn't in his matrix at all so he stuck there and that was a living example every day of do anything other than work for some other ass you know, like he hated it, and he never sat me down and said, "Son, do anything but work for any other." But he was just a living example, man. And the other living example he kind of turned out to be as well was the dude loved entertainment. You could tell that was his big escape. Man, he loved going to the movies, loved watching TV, and he could tell that I was into it as well. We always went together every week. He he fed the entertainment thing, and again, never walked out of one of those movies going, you know, you could make one of these, or like, how come nobody we know does this, you know? And we didn't even walk out and review the movies. We weren't movie nerds together. We just watched the movies together, and like, that was great. That was, or, you know, I wish that was better. But nothing really, no hardcore review. Like, what'd you think of the angles, Dad? You know, what do you think that, that Donner was trying to say with the, with the first Superman picture? None of that. Just kind of like enjoying movies for movies' sake. And that to me, like, I always saw my father who hated his job and love entertainment. You know, that was where he was kind of at his most relaxed, watching movies and stuff. So that kind of stuff rubs off on you. And also, if you're a lazy person like I am, you, you want to look for a job that doesn't feel like a job. You know, they always say, like, if you if you do what you love for a living, you never work a day in your life. And, it's a, you know, it's one of those dopey things that 
people throw around and you're like, yeah, right. It's absolutely true. You never feel like it's work. You never get up and go, oh man. I mean, you know, I've been I've been in in this business for now almost 20 years, and I can't stand. You've worked with some others too. Who <laughs> bitch about like. Oh, I don't want to have to like do this interview. Oh my God, I hate having to sign this. Or oh, I got to go in and act today. Like it's crazy the amount of complaints people can lodge about the perfect job, where where somebody's like, here, here, I will give you money if you just make pretend for a living. <laughs> That's all I need from you. No, no, you don't have to cure cancer. You don't have to build anything. You don't have to break your back to scrub something or mop. Just make pretend, and we'll give you money. When you crack that code, man, if you're one of those lucky people, you should never have to bitch about anything. You never be allowed to bitch about anything again. And yet, yet I'm guilty of it myself, man. Airline threw me off and I was like, wow. <laughs> well, so, I don't know. I guess with him it was just kind of watching him hate his work and, and, and finally, you know, over years that turns into, all right, well, I don't want to work for somebody. I can't do blue collar. You know, my I, it's just not in my genes. I watched what it did to him and how much he hated it. And, and I know how I am in school. You know, even in school, I was like, I'm pulling low B's and C's because I don't want to do this stuff. I want to do what I want to do. You know, I think that's what happens. One day you figure out, you know, like some kids eventually figure out, hey man, I'm gay and stuff and must wash over them like, oh, now everything makes sense. One day, a long time ago, and I'm still trying to figure out when it happened, I figured out that like, oh, I'm just one of these people that doesn't want to do anything that he doesn't want to do except what he wants to do. And in order to be one of those people, because the world does not want to let you be that person, the world's not structured that way. In order to be that person that I felt like I was inside, the person that didn't want to do anything he didn't want to do, I had to be able to pay the price for that. I had to be able to pay my way. You know, it's if you can shut up every argument they could throw at you, then you could do whatever you want. You know, like it was the same thing when I started smoking weed. I was just like, look, if I'm going to start smoking weed, I have to tie it to productivity. Because the moment you start smoking weed, people get on your balls about like, oh, you're a lazy fast owner. And I already got the lazy fast thing going against me. So, you know, I was like, if I'm going to smoke weed, I got to prove that, you know, it's productive or I got to wrap it around productivity because then nobody can with you. So every time I sit down and smoke weed, you know, I'm recording a podcast or writing something, writing a script or hanging out on Twitter and, or doing whatever I do uh, for, for a living lightly, which is any number of weird things. And, um, and, and that's, I think, why I became so productive over the last three, four years, because I, I tie it to weed smoking. I like weed smoking so much. I'm like, look, man, do it all you want, but make sure there's something at the end of this, something to show for it. And if you can show people productivity, they don't bust your balls. Like, I never understood the stoners that would sit around and watch TV all day. I'm like, ah, you're ruining it for the rest of us. It's like, no, man, take that, you know, that battery that you've been handed, turn it into something. And, and me, I like to turn it into, like, here's a podcast, here's a TV show, here's a movie. So getting back to... um. Uh, when you started doing what you wanted to do instead of you know being stuck in a blue collar career of some sort, was this was Clerks came out really just before the internet started to really yes. take hold. So do you think if you were starting today, would you still have gone into film or would you have gone into no, film slash internet? No, if it was today, let me tell you this: if, if podcasts had existed back then, if the same technology, the ease with which one could record a podcast. Um, would have existed back in 1991. August 2nd, 1991, I see Slacker, Richard Linklater's film Slacker. I leave that theater and I go, I want to be a filmmaker. Um, and it begins there. Two years later, I'm already making clerks. But if I'd walked out of that theater and podcasting had existed, I would have went home and recorded a podcast about how awesome Slacker was and never would have thought about making a movie myself. 
But I saw this man, Richard Linklater, expressing himself through his art on the canvas and the cinema screen, and that's what was open to us at the time. I couldn't get into comic books because was, I wasn't British. All the best comic book writers were British at that point. Uh -huh. um, TV was you know, impenetrable, and I, I figured movies were impenetrable as well. Movies always seem like, you know, they're so expensive, and I didn't really know about indie film. So you look at those movies, and you go, like, well, I guess those people are just born into, uh, into the Hollywood or with silver spoons in their mouths or something like that. Who, Richard Linklater's example, example of slacker, made me feel like, holy Christ, I mean, if this dude's telling his story in Texas, why can't I tell my story in New Jersey? If that counts as a film, there's no car chases, nothing blowing up, there's no supervillains. I guess you can make a movie about anything. And, you know, and that's when I got into the notion of filmmaking. But if podcasting existed, had the Internet been in my bedroom at that point, in my parents' house where I was growing up, I don't think I would have thought about making a film. I probably just would have been a person that commented on it. I would have been content to be entertain more than try to be entertaining. It seems that uh, with podcasting, though, something I've kind of run into is people really like a visual. If you can do something on, you know, YouTube, people seem more interested in that than trying to get people to, and which is strange because a podcast seems to be more user-friendly in that you can take it in the car, you can go jogging with it, which I try to point out to people. It's a visual, uh, people fetishize and love the visual medium. We like to sit around and look at things and stuff. But so many of us are mobile. So many of us are moving around at all times. You can't sit down, pay attention, look at a screen. Exactly. That's why I started getting into the pods, because I'm like, for years, I started thinking about it. For years, man, you demand of the audience, and, and at least when you're a filmmaker, you put everything down, look at this. Um, and the world's not built that way. Like when I sit behind my laptop screen, I got Twitter open here, I got my iChat windows open here, my, my, my email, which is AOL, please don't make fun of me, open <laughs> right here. And then uh, over here, man, I'm probably running a movie as well. So all on the, on the same 13-inch laptop. So I'm multitasking and, and I'm not giving any one thing 100% attention and if it demands that like you know there's a show that everyone's talking about like oh man have you seen this show i'm like are you kidding me that requires me to sit down and focus on something for like an hour long and that's at a i'm not getting anything done while i'm sitting there watching it so in that moment you know you kind of feel like if i've been demanding that of the audience for so long and and the way i exist a lot of other people exist online as well and everyone's attention span is getting shorter and you know they have it's easier to kind of stay home and be entertained than go out to a movie theater to be entertained. It's expensive, and again, who has the time to set aside two, three, four hours for the entire movie-going experience of getting ready, going to the theater, driving, watching the movie, you know, coming home, all that stuff? It's it's a big package when you could just be like, ah, oh, you know what? It'll be on uh, VOD in about. Uh, two months, I could just watch it there. And in the world where, you know, everyone's got a laptop, suddenly you're like, why am I trying to make them leave the house to watch me or, or engage with my art? I mean, can't I just hit them home? Everybody's got this. Everybody's got a smartphone at this point. So that's why I felt like podcasting made more sense. doesn't require you to look at it. You know, you take it with you in the car. You put in your headphones, man, you go to spodcast.com. I become your best friend. I'll kill an hour, two hours easily for you, man. You know, theater of the mind. And that's what's fun about it as well. You sit there and you make these mini epics constantly. Like when I was making flicks, it takes you a year sometimes to, like, put the, an entire film together once you start, you know, shooting it to 
cutting it, posting it, and then all the marketing and crap. Hell, in the case of Red State, I wrote a script. It took me four years from the moment I wrote the script to finally say, hey, everybody, this is what I was talking about. Or from the time I started talking about it with the public before they even knew Red State existed. I mean, it's just crazy how long it takes to make that one statement. Whereas with a podcast, I can go on a great length as I've been doing right now. And <laughs> I could do it two, three hours, man. End it, put it up immediately. Coming everything that's right in my head and heart at the moment, freshest, latest, not some stuff I'm writing in a script and hoping that nobody else copies for years while I try to get the movie produced. I'm just pouring it out there, man, and I'm done. And guess what? I get to do it again the next day. Start from scratch. Do something completely new and different. For a guy that's been making films for 20 years, and, and those films, I, you know, I stand by. I love them absolutely. Those films were exciting and fresh for me to make, but there's a rote process to filmmaking, and it's a long one, man. For and, and, and having like so many ideas and wanting to create so much before I check out of this world, it's like you never feel like you have enough time. And movie making takes up so much fucking time, whereas podcasting, man, takes up no time because you don't feel it. Because like you know, it's not work if you love it. Uh, Smodcast.com, like I'll sit down and have a conversation with Mosher on Smodcast and we go nuts and have a great old time. And then on Jay and Silent Bob Get Old, I'm sitting there having a conversation with me as we go nuts, have a great old time in a completely different tone and direction. And then I sit down with Ralph Garman and Hollywood Babylon and again, and we go in a completely different direction than I go with the other two shows, man. So it keeps it interesting for me. I sit down with my wife and do a show called Plus One and suddenly that's me at my most honest because she's not a show person at all. So I don't ratchet it up, man. I just have to be me, and she's herself. So suddenly you get to kind of diversify all the presentation and all the art that you used to be given to the audience in one simple form of, like, here's a movie. You know what to do. Leave your house, go to a movie theater, pay to see it, and, and I'm not going to be there, so let me know how you like it afterwards on the Internet. And, you know, that's the thing. It's like eventually we all came back to the Internet to discuss the film. You feel like you want to bypass that unnecessary other step of, like, leave your house. Now, if you want them to leave the house, you got to make it worthwhile. Like, it's no longer a, a, an Avengers. Absolutely, you got yourself an event picture, a Dark Knight Rises. People come out in droves. But for, like, you know, standard movies, I don't make very special movies. They're movies where people sit around and talk to one another. That's what people do in the real world all the time. Stories about me and my friends, I could do that on podcasts. And instead of telling stories about them using characters, let me just go, ladies and gentlemen, here are my friends. I look at that, I'm like, ladies and gentlemen, never mind Randall and, and, and Brody. Here are... Um, Brian and Walter, here are my friends. Here's Jay, never mind Jay, the wacky character to my silent Bob. Here's Jason Mewes, who's even wackier than the character in the movie. Um, you know, it's it, never mind me showing you a story of, of relationships in movies, a chasing Amy, uh, uh, Holden and, and Alyssa, a uh, Dante and, and uh, Veronica, Caitlin thing going on in Clerks. Uh, I'll just introduce you to the one relationship that, that I'm in that's so fraught with peril and complication at all times, it's way more interesting than like, ladies and gentlemen, my wife. So that becomes kind of way more interesting and much more fun. And, you know, look, are you going to get the world with it? Not at first, man, because it's just conversation. But that kind of thing passes along, man. Like, it's weird how many people pass along podcasts because it's like back in the day with Clerks, what helped that movie uh, tremendously, you know, movie theaters never made more than $3 million. It only played on 50 screens. But, you know, that was great for an indie film, but it's, that's not like, you know, the whole world seeing it at the movie theater. 
When it got to home video, initially it shipped, I think, 60,000 units, which is totally good, but not world break, record breaking. <clears throat> one year's time, Clerks became, the VHS became like the number one ROI tape in the video business, return on investment. For every copy they bought, they made so much money off it because people kept getting it over and over and over again. And it also had the, the dubious honor of being the most stolen video cassette <laughs> in, the, in, in the video store business history. So it became this weird pass along thing where it became currency of cool, pop culture currency. You would you, would, you say to somebody, have you seen this movie Clerks? And they're like, no, what's that? And you're like, oh, you gotta see it. And you show it to that person and that person goes, oh my God, it's amazing. That person thinks you're cool. You got cool, cool currency. It's the same thing with the podcast, man. Like, that's how our grew back in the day. People passing along word of mouth going like, have you seen this movie, Clerks? And then we go into it again with the podcast. Like, me and Mosher sat down and did some podcast. Not like we had a marketing budget. Not like we announced to the world, like, get ready, there's a countdown only on our website or something like that. I mean, you know, it's the kind of thing that in order for people to find out about it, somebody has to tell them. You know, or they read your Twitter account or something like that. So that's something that organically grew over the course of five years to the point of like one day somebody was like, do you guys know that you get like 300,000 downloads each episode? And this is a couple of years back. And we were like, what? No, like, yeah, that's when people are listening to this episode every week, man. And you don't think about it because you're like, we're enjoying it. You know, there's, you don't think about how many. You know there's an audience there, but you don't think about how large it could get or where it could go. And with numbers like that, dude, you got power. Like, if you got that many people at your beck and call in terms of, like, here's an audience sitting here watching or, in this case, listening to a program, that's all. This, this entire business is, is founded on advertising. Um, it's all about selling ads, right? Now, I don't mean podcasting business. I mean the entertainment business, particularly TV and now fast becoming the Internet as well. All these YouTube channels that are launching and stuff are generate, you know, they're, they're meant to generate revenue. There's lots of advertising going on. A podcast has a viewership or a listenership that is very specific. When you're watching TV, you're not guaranteed to watch the commercials. In most cases, you actually turn it off, walk away. But in a podcast, that audience seeks that program out, and they're listening to it from beginning to end, so they're going to listen to whatever advertisement's on it. The moment that like the ad advertising companies figure out that podcasting is like an easy layup that they can like be selling podcasting time to their clients for pennies on the dollar versus what they're paying on TV and probably see a better return on investment, the whole industry will turn on its head. That's what I'm hoping for. It's so sad. It's like it's once people go, oh, there's money in it, that's when everyone gets interested. Yeah. But, but don't, don't ever do it for that. Like people are like, hey, man, anybody – going into podcasting with a, a handout or a hat in hand going, when do I get paid? You're going about it wrong. Do it because you love it. Do it because like somebody's giving you a microphone and a platform and you get to say whatever you want to the world, man, about whatever you want. You know, it's an extension of yourself. And, and if money comes from it later on, if you could figure out how to monetize the shit you love, then my friend, you have cracked the code of life because then you'll never work. You'll never work a single day because you're always doing stuff and getting paid to do stuff you were going to do anyway for free. That's been the late motif of my life. That, that's the dream, yeah. So um, Jay and Silent Bob have gotten old, though, and uh, you're out with, with the folks interacting with them. Uh, how's that going? It seems from what I've, the accounts I've seen, it's kind of it's not really the same show every night. It's a little bit uh, 
Different. Yeah, that's what's nice about, you know, you sit down with people, have a conversation. When I used to do Q&As, and I still do them, but when it was just me all the time doing Q&As before I started taking the podcast on the road, you go up on stage, you answer questions. And to be fair, you pretty much, by the time you get to any place to do a Q&A, all those questions you're about to be asked have been asked in one way, shape, or form previously. So you get into a kind of zone about like, you know, people are like, wow, you're really good at q and I'm like, not really. It's just I've told this story so many times that if you ask me this question, you're, you're going to get a good show because I've now well honed it, honed it into a well-tuned anecdote. So at that point, I'm not going to say it's not fresh, but you pretty much know going into each show, like, I bet you I'm going to get asked this, 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 and this. It doesn't really change um, in a year. Then the next year, you do something different, and then the questions change. With the podcast, you sit down with somebody, podcasting live, as I do with Jay and Silent Bob Get Old, every night it changes. It, there's, we don't, it's not a Q&A show. We sit up there and have a conversation, and the conversation has some structure in as much as we're talking about Jason's life, his time making the movies, his time being addicted to heroin and Oxycontin, and what he does now. We, you know, it's, it's dirty, body is very adult, always talking about sex. Um, and, and it's funny as hell. He's very you know, physical with his comedy. He gets up, he's humping the stage multiple mm-hmm. times during the show. And then all of a sudden it takes a sharp right turn and you remember why we were there in the first place. It's an intervention podcast. It's, a, it's meant to kind of keep Muse clean. Essentially at one point in the show, every show, we're like, how long have you been clean and sober? And he'll give us how many days. And then he goes into a story about sobriety, like a kind of prevention or cautionary tale. And when he gets into that stuff, Suddenly, the floor drops out from under you because you've just been enjoying, like, a, 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 I guess some uh, ribaldry, if you will, a rival good time. And then all of a sudden, the dude's telling you a story about, like, how his mother dropped him and his sister at a stranger's house. and They were locked in a closet for six hours so his mom could go off and shoot heroin. You know, and your heart's breaking. Uh, or he's telling you a story about how his mom used to use him as a nine-year-old bag man to go deliver money and pick up drugs and vice versa. And your heart's breaking even more, and, and there you can hear a pin drop in the room, man. And then suddenly, boom, he kind of takes another turn into a story about trying to masturbate in front of Ben Affleck while at rehab on the down low. And, you know, and suddenly you're laughing again, and, and you realize that is life, man. Sometimes, you know, you're having a good time. Sometimes you're in the pits, and then you can pull yourself back out again. It's a it's a really ins- oddly inspiring show, um, not just for people who are like, oh, man, I've had problems with, with drugs or something. Uh, it's not so much that. It's not a medicine-y show. It's kind of a show where you go like, wow, man, this dude was really down for the count and kind of rock bottom and still was able to pull himself out of it. And look, where he's he's entertaining and he's kind of with it and funny and like the stuff he's saying is real and he's I've never heard anyone be this candid I, it's it's a, a an odd show to describe but it, it's always easiest to sell people thusly I said look you go to smodcast.com you can listen to every episode of Jay and Silent Bob Get Old for free it's just sitting there you listen to it and if it's your taste, come see the show. But listen to a few of them because each show is different. That's the beauty of sitting down, man, with somebody instead of standing there by yourself. If you're engaged in conversation and it's not scripted and it's just free for all, every show is going to be different and exciting for you. And if it's exciting for the performer, 
it's always going to be exciting for the audience, you know. And, and there are times I'm sitting next to Muse and I'm heart racing because, like, he starts telling a story where I'm like, we're losing the audience. This is horrible. Oh, my God, dude, why are you doing this? And he can't say anything to him in the middle of the show. And we don't have a code worked out of, like, dude, stop. And, and suddenly you're like, oh, my God, he's killing us. And just as the plane's about to hit the ground, the dude, like, pulls up. And it becomes this brilliant, hysterical, like, audience applause moment anecdote that he, he pulled out of nowhere. I didn't know it. And I, I'm sitting next to him the whole time going, we're ruined. And then I'm like, he saved us. He's become a really <laughs> deft public storyteller. And it's fun to watch, man, a raconteur, if you will. But what's really great about the show is it keeps him alive. It keeps him clean. You know, Muse always had a problem holding on to any money he made from those movies because he kind of shooted up his arm or, or turned into pills. Um, now, from just going out and doing the Jay and Bob Get Old tour, he was able to finally buy himself a house at age 37. Never did that before. With all that movie money, couldn't pull it together. And so we just got back from Australia where we sold every show out with the exception of Adelaide. And, and there it was only, it was 1,900 seats. We only sold 1,800, so we only missed by 100. But we went to the UK and Ireland prior to that. We were selling out 3,200 seaters for just people to sit around and, and watch him tell me about his, his life. You know, and then we bring the audience up and play games. We play a game called Let Us where a few people from the audience volunteer and jump up on stage and we give Jason and that person like a sexual position to figure out. <laughs> they go off stage, come back, and reenact it for you. So instead of like doggy style or missionary, you say something like the Ewok cock block. They go off, figure that out, come out and do it for you. Non-penetrative miming sex. It's fun. No bodily fluids flying anywhere. And <laughs> selling out across the country, uh, all across uh, the United States so far. So Yeah, we've but... been, it's been nice. I mean, here's the it's no secret that we've had money put into these names in as much as the movies, right? For years, you know, we were in Clerks, Mallrats, Chasing Amy, Dogma, Jane, Silent Bob, Shrek Back, uh, and then Clerks 2. So, and not to mention the cartoon and stuff. So That's right. those, those characters have been out there. And we never really even thought about it. When we called the show Jane, Silent Bob, Get Old, it was just kind of a joke. And then when we, and, and we were only doing it in the Spot Castle Theater, only 50-seater and stuff, so we thought we'd be playing to our, our audience, the people that kind of already kind of dialed into our stuff on a daily basis. But when we started taking the show out on the road, like when we were selling it, uh, you know, like London, this was the weird one. When the London Hammersmith Apollo sold out like within two days or something like that, that's 3,200-seater. We were like, wow, so many people must listen to the podcast over there. Then you get over there and you realize that, like, it ain't the podcast that turns them, that, that they're mostly there for, or the lion's share of them are there because they've heard the podcast, but there's a massive cross-section of people that are coming just because, like, Jay and Saw Bob, I love those movies. So they show up at the podcast, and then, the, you know, you guys come out on stage, you're not wearing costumes, and I'm talking the whole time. And most people are like, this is not Jay and Silent Bob of that audience. It's weird. Like, we encountered that in London. You had some people going like, wait, man, when, when do you guys play Jay and Silent Bob? And it's like, this is Jay and Silent Bob, get old. This is the show. And even though there's a podcast, they had no idea. They're just like, oh, I just bought tickets for this because I love Jay and Silent Bob. And some of those cats walk away pissed or disappointed. Most of those cats, you convert. Because at the end of the day, they're like, oh, shit, this is better. Like, Jay and Silent Bob, what are they going to do? Come out here and one guy stand there and say nothing. The other guy stand there and curse. <laughs> yeah. These dudes both come out and tell some funny stories, and and the other and Muse is is very very funny. He's lived one of these lives that like just produces material left and right. The dude wakes up and steps into stories like you and I would step into slippers. 
So it's, I don't know, it's this really unique, fun thing. I, I wish I could point to an example of something like, oh, it's just like this. But it's not. It's it's kind of uh, it, its own thing. I mean, in terms of, it's not stand-up comedy, but it is comedy. And we sit down the whole time. And generally, you know, two-man stand-up acts have gone out of style. And so it's not really an act because we don't act. We just sit there and talk to each other. It's so strange. We go to a place, sit down, talk to one another, and people are like, here's money. Well done. They walk away. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sir. Well, uh I hope things continue to go well for you. Uh, if you can find everything Kevin Smith needs to know at smodcast.com. The, the movies, all the, all the podcasts that he's involved in and everything, it's all there in one convenient, uh, easy-to-find location. Absolutely. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was, and, uh, sweet, man. All right. Please don't bring weapons to the show. We hate getting shot at. <laughs> all right, everyone. We'll get, do a pat-down at, at the door. All right, well, thanks for taking the time today, sir. I really appreciate it. I know you're a busy, busy man. And, uh, no worries. No that we got to put together. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Kevin. Thanks, man. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks again to Kevin Smith for being on the podcast. CJ and Silent Bob get old on stage in Covington, Kentucky at the Madison Theater. That's across the river from Cincinnati, don't you know? Friday, May 18th. Go to smodcast.com for more dates and all things related to Kevin Smith, as well as uh, Jay and all the other great films and movies and podcasts he's involved in. Go to pfradio.podbean.com for more info on this program and today's episode in particular. So long and thanks for listening. Kevin Smith, PF State Recorder, episode number 43 from back in 2012. We are up to our song of the week. Song of the week is from Mabel. And Mabel, I don't know much about. All I know is that they played this on Radio 1, and I like it. And it's uh, a pop song. Kind of reminds me a little bit of Ava Max. And I was, when I, I bought this actually in iTunes because I liked it so much. And I, the little thermometer thing that shows you how popular it is, not very popular. So I'm guessing this probably even isn't a hit in North America that I can tell. I'm not even sure it's a hit over in the UK, but if it, if this type of song Radio 1 is playing, one of these, like, they play Wolf Alice in uh, churches in 1975, and those guys never enter the chart or hardly enter the chart. Mabel, I have a feeling, is doing well. Uh, the singles chart, as I'm recording this, comes out today. In the UK, it's Friday. But I don't know how she's doing here, but it's a catchy little tune. It's called Let Them Know, and it's our song of the week on PF's Tape Recorder. So, so long, and thanks for listening. Now shine like Christmas, heels on six inches. Waist inch, smooth, glad fit. You can't have this, you can't hit this. I got a new man in my business, and he all about his business. And his name ain't none of your business. On that poster, say so like I'm Doja. Icy, wifey, body shape, Coca Cola. I got a new man in my business, and he all about his business. And his name ain't none of your business. Gleaming blonde hair, I bleached it. You could call me Khaleesi. I